okay, I, I, I added one more uh, tshuva uh, to the, um, the handout for this week, maybe maybe two more tshuvas, and I added uh, some more uh, material in the supplementary source sheet also for the additional tshuva tshuvas. But um, I don't know how far we're going to get because uh, we, um, we want to cover all the territory you know, thoroughly. And uh, therefore, maybe we'll go at a little more leisurely pace in terms of uh, going through Schwartz's uh, Chuvas. It certainly is um, uh, a, a valuable exercise. And uh, let's let it play out for however long it, uh, it takes. Oh, no, no, these are not the handouts this week. We have, they're essentially the same handouts as uh, last week. And, uh, a couple of you I see actually did bring from, from last week. But we have uh, new ones uh, that are coming as well, so they should be here uh, momentarily. So we're up to a simon. We did the last simon quickly, it's true, but it's okay. We did it. So we're up to simon Yidalev, which is a question of Pinoy Mesa Mikibro. Uh, the when is it that uh, you are allowed to move a mesa, a person who's buried, uh, from uh, the first uh, burial location uh, to a new burial location? And this is a discussion in, uh, in Shulchan Arach, that generally speaking, we're worried about the Zayin Mesa, we're worried about Chorad uh, Hadin, that uh, you're going to scare uh, the neshama uh, uh, of an individual who's, uh, who's buried, you're going to mess uh, with the um, with the mace and move it to another place. It's uh, considered to be something that is uh, undesirable, that's improper, uh, that uh, out of cover a mace, out of not causing trembling and fear to, um, uh, to to a mace. You're not supposed to, as a general rule, move a mace even if there is one uh, graveyard that's considered to be uh, less respectable to a graveyard, to a basic borough that's considered to be more mechubad, it's more dignified, even even that you're not supposed to do, that's codified in the Shulchan Aruch, in Hilchah Sevelus, in Yeridea, Simen Shin Sama Gimel, Sif Aleph, you look on page 3 of your uh, materials, um, even Lomi Bazoi, the mechubad, you're not, you're not, you don't move a mace or its bones, uh, even from, from one cabinet to another. Even even if it's an undignified basic uh, vows, uh, to a more dignified basic vows, and obviously you don't uh, downgrade in, in terms of the stature of the, um, of the, base, uh, of the basic vows. But there are a few exceptions. What are the exceptions? That is Besok Shalom, that if you're moving a mace that was uh, buried in a kind of an abandoned location to be uh, with a, a Kever base Avos, to be in a buried in a burial a plot area which is designated for other members of the family, so that would be permissible. Rav Schwartz used to quote to me in Wasameach that Rav Moshe uh, cited in a couple of places that says that normally we speak about uh, taking a, a child. Um, meaning uh, a descendant of a family to be buried in a kever beisavos of where the ancestors have already been buried. Yosemach brings a raya from Elazar Cohen. When he died, he was buried to give us pinchos that they could even bring a father to where a son is located. And even if uh, the uh, others have not yet been buried there, but just sort of in anticipation that they're going to be buried there, he said that. Not everyone relies upon it. The raya that's brought from Nach is not such a perfect raya, but nonetheless, uh, that's something that is also a possibility if it's a family plot. The family plot is one story. Another possible exception is Kedai the Kovo Beretz Yisrael. If you have a mesa that was buried in Chutz and now the family 
who wants to move the remains to Eretz Yisrael, uh, that also is permissible, obviously it's permissible if the person said before they died that they wanted their remains to be moved to Eretz Yisrael, but even if they didn't, Pesche uh, Tshuva brings um, from the Maharal Bach that even if the person indicated um, that he wasn't, that uh, they didn't have such a desire to be buried in Eretz Yisrael, says it's still considered to be such a suchus that you can move the Mesa to uh, Eretz Yisrael anyway, unless the person said, Beferish, he said that, uh, that I'm commanding you, said to their, their family, I'm commanding you not to move my remains to Eretz Yisrael, so then you don't move it to Eretz Yisrael. It's a whole big uh, question, of Moshe Feinstein has a tshuva that at one point in time, there was a, a movement of a, a group of, uh, I guess, uh, Zionists uh, who wanted uh, to move the remains uh, from England, from Ramsgate, of uh, Moses Montefiore, because Moses Montefiore and his wife had been very uh, instrumental in building up settlements in Eretz Israel, really religious settlements. It was a, a wonderful, heroic figure, Moses Montefiore, and they wanted to move his remains to Eretz Israel. And Rav Moshe Feinstein was asked to Shiloh whether it was an appropriate thing to do to disinter the remains of uh, Servos' Montefiore and his wife from Ramsgate in England to, uh, to Eretz Yisrael. Rav Moshe said, absolutely not. Rav Moshe said, we don't find that, that uh, he indicated any desire. If he wanted to be buried in Eretz Yisrael, he had connections. You know, he could have, uh, he could have arranged it. Uh, and uh, this idea of moving uh, a mace to Eretz Yisrael, even if the mace didn't call for it, is something only a child or descendants can do. And the individuals who wanted to move the remains were not descendants of Moses Montefiore. The Chida is a kasha. They did move the remains of the Chida to Eretz Yisrael. And uh, therefore, there were others, uh, I think, including Rabbi Vadya Yosef, who thought it was a nice idea to move the remains of Moses Montefiore as well to Eretz Yisrael, but they didn't ask Rabbi Moshe about the Chidah either, Peshaita. I don't know what he would have said. Um, uh, but uh, one of the arguments that he made in the case of Moses Montefiore is that you had great tzaddikim and Goonim who were still buried in Chutzlaharitz, and it would be an affront to them to say, we're going to move, move Moses Montefiore, but we're not going to remove you. Move you. Not going to move uh, the others. So, so that argument wouldn't have been as strong with the Chidah. Uh, but Ramosha made the, that, uh, that argument as well in the case of Moses Montefiore. The people who moved the Kevin by the Vilnagon was moved twice. Yeah. Well, that wasn't moved to Eretz Yisrael. But here's the other thing that he talks about. And here's this, with this tshuva that Rabbi Schwartz spoke about, which had to do with a burial plot in Yonkers, uh, not so far removed from where I used to live, my old stomping grounds in, in Riverdale. Well, it was right near uh, Yonkers. Uh, Yonkers is sort of the beginning of Westchester, and Riverdale is kind of like the end of the Bronx. Uh, but uh, so some people say that uh, Riverdale is sort of you know a hemshek of, um, uh, of 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 Westchester, um, where, where, where Yonkers is located. And it's like a misnomer to say Riverdale is part of New York City, but it is part of New York City. And others would say that you know. Yonkers is, uh, look at the, the, the other way around. Maybe Yonkers is more kind of a hemshake of New York City. You can get lost in Yonkers. But anyway, the uh, Ramoshe gives a, another, um, uh, another reason why you might move the remains of somebody who's buried in the basic vows. He says, If the remains are not going to be properly safeguarded in this cabinet because uh, the, 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 uh, the cemetery is um, not uh, properly taken care of. There's, uh, there's flooding in the cemetery. The, 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 the graves are going to be overrun with, uh, with water, it's, uh, or they're going to be vandalized. Or it's just uh, not a, a proper cemetery altogether. So then, so then you would be allowed to move the mace. So this was 
the question uh, that uh, was posed to Rav Moshe, uh, and this was uh, posed to him uh, by the person who was uh, the executive vice president at the time of the uh, uh, Rabbinical Council of America. So a few tshuvas written to him, to Rav Binyamin uh, Walfish. Rav Binyamin Walfish uh, lived in, uh, in Eretz Yisrael after he uh, had been in the executive leadership of the RCA. And uh, I, I met him. They used to have um, midwinter conferences of the Rabbinical Council of America, and he would faithfully uh, show up all the time. I think his Amman is still living, and he was uh, Nifter a few years ago, I think in his uh, early to mid-90s. Uh, to mid Very, very uh, fine, God-fearing Rav. So he raised, the, he, he posed this question that uh, they wanted to, to clear out a base, uh, a base at Kvaros. There's an old base at Kvaros in Yankers uh, for 20 years or so. They hadn't buried anybody there, and um, it's not, it wasn't being properly kept. But despite the fact that it wasn't being properly kept, uh, nonetheless, uh, the graves themselves were intact, and it's not as if there was a concern that there was going to be water seepage or damage in this particular basic house. They didn't have that concern, so therefore it didn't neatly fit into this uh, last category uh, in the Shulchan Aruch. And um, at the same time, uh, he said that uh, he was concerned that it wasn't going to be properly uh, kept up because uh, the local federation they didn't have the same wonderful relationship we have here in Chicago with our uh, local uh, federation. So the federation there didn't want to give any money uh, to take care of uh, this um, this basic virus. And there was a developer who came along and he wanted to build nice things uh, in the area, big buildings, whatever it was. Uh, maybe he wanted to build a, a shopping center. Uh, and uh, he was prepared to spend whatever money was necessary in order to have a properly guarded and taken care of um, uh, area uh, where all the graves, uh, the bodies could be disinterred and they could be reburied in this other nice area that he would provide for them. You know, developers can be very generous because uh, they have a strong monetary motivation uh, to be uh, to be generous, to, to clear the mason from this area so he could build his uh, mall and shopping center and, and, and apartment buildings or uh, whatever else. And of all the um, relatives, I don't know how they tracked out all the relatives of the mason, uh, but they said that there was only one relative left of all the mason. I don't know, it's only one relative left. They didn't have great-grandchildren. I don't know, maybe it meant there's only one close relative left. So there's only one relative, that's what the tshuva says. Yesh rakarobechad b'chayim. There's only one living relative. Strange, strange statement. Shalechan amesim akvurim of all the mesim who were buried there. Shalorot said, Bishum open lahaskim and pinoy krovo. So what he means is, the other relatives all gave permission. There's only one relative who is screaming and yelling, I'm not giving permission to move uh, the, uh, the, the mace, uh, the mo- to move uh, the remains of my, uh, of my relative. But the other relatives whom they cla- tracked down, um, uh, of the other Mason were perfectly fine with this plan. I don't know why everybody would have been fine with this plan, but that's, uh, that, that's what he says. Um, uh, so the question is, uh, so is this uh, enough um, uh, to either justify or, um, or not justify? Uh, he's, in fact, the other plan, he said, is that we might be able to uh, keep uh, the basic virus over here and uh, the developer will just build around it and he'll put a wall. He'll put like a, a little walled area. Remember, when I grew up in Muncie, uh, there were all kinds of buildings all over the place on West Maple Avenue is the main street uh, off of which uh, most of the streets, other streets of Muncie um, uh, were constructed. That was kind of like uh, sort of the uh, main, you know, through street in Muncie. It was West Maple Avenue. 
And there's this old, like, uh, Civil War cemetery in the middle of uh, West Maple Avenue. And they just built, you know, all of the uh, the shopping malls and the houses and, you know, the uh, other... Um, uh, and the other uh, uh, stores and and buildings uh, around it, and uh, for a long time, despite the fact that it was this historic Civil War cemetery, I mean, nobody really paid much attention as a coin. So you know, I just made sure not to step there, but you know, uh, uh, nobody paid much attention. They decided, oh, you know, it's just like a, a very important landmark. You better build the wall around it. For a long time, there wasn't even a wall built around it. It's just this fascinating sort of thing. You just pass without like thinking twice about it. But anyway, so he was saying. Uh, the developer, I'll build a wall, uh, and um, if they don't want me to move the the kvarim, and I'll uh, and I'll build around it, uh, and um, and maybe there's a chance that if they build a wall, uh, then uh, the area will become more recognizable, and perhaps uh, they'll be able to prevail upon the federation or others to take better care of uh, the cemetery. So he said, given all these considerations, what should we do in this case? So you can see there are panim lakan and panim lakan. Um, so this tshuva has uh, really two parts to it. There are really two um, uh, gilgulim uh, of this uh, of this tshuva. First, there's Rav Schwartz's answer of what they should do, and then there's Rav Schwartz's answer of what happens now that they apparently didn't listen to him in terms of you know what he told them to do. Uh, so the tshuva that he writes in Nisan in terms of what they, they should um, what they should do. Uh, is um, as follows. So he says uh, that in this particular case, uh, it is a makom bazuk. It is, in fact, a place which is degraded uh, in its um, uh, in its upkeep. However, and its maintenance. However, kimin shein lachush. If you look on the top of page seventy-five in the the, the tshuva from Hadaram, about kimin shein lachush shemiyosiu akum. Since there is no concern of vandalism in this play, in this case, and we, there's no water seepage uh, damage, so therefore it's not considered to be uh, according to the halacha, according to the specifications in the, in the halacha and shulchan aruch, it doesn't count as a cemetery which is uh, c- considered uh, to, um, to to be uh, uh, in danger of um, uh, degrading the, uh, the remains of those who were buried there. Uh, since there is the possibility for the uh, developer to take upon himself the cost to actually build the wall as was suggested, and maybe you'll be able to raise interest and funds in taking care of it. Um, so he said, you have to be concerned about Haredas that did manibal amaze the considerations we mentioned before uh, about uh, the uh, assault uh, to the the mesim, uh, the, um, uh, the the the, the uh, improper des- uh, desecration of the mesim. If you're going to uh, if you're going to move them from place to place, and the Haredas Adin, the Haredas Adin, and the fear of judgment and fr- that's uh, going to uh, be uh, triggered uh, if you mess with the uh, if you mess with the mesim, and uh, he brings from the Sefer Chaim Ubrachan Mishmer Shalom. Uh, a, a famous uh, Sefer and Hilchos uh, Velus and the like, who uh, brings uh, from a number of Gaonim that uh, you have to be very fearful when it comes to these matters, when it comes to moving Mesim, uh, like Rav Moshe wasn't so quick to allow the moving of the remains even of Moses Montefiore and his wife to Eretz Yisrael. Um, so therefore he says uh, that uh, we should uh, be uh, hesitant to allow, uh, to allow <coughs> such a thing. And he quotes from from Rav Moshe, and I had that material in the in the I have the, the that in the supplementary materials as well. 
uh, that Ramosha was only makal in a case where you had actual vandalism um, with respect to a base Akvaros, but here he says that we don't really have uh, the vandalism. And what about the possibility uh, that maybe we could take the remains of those who were buried there and move them to Eretz, uh, to Eretz Yisrael? So he quotes from the um, from Piskeshuva that this is something that we would allow unless there was an adamant uh, protest uh, from the individual before he died uh, not to move the remains to Eretz Yisrael. Um, uh, but uh, he says uh, that um, uh, in this um, in this particular uh, c- case, uh, if we speak about the case here where we have a relative who's mochalapino, he says, don't allow the, the remains of uh, my relative uh, to uh, be tampered with. Um, uh, so he said uh, that uh, this is not comparable uh, to uh, the case uh, that the Piskei Shuba points about where we said that you can move the remains of somebody as long as they didn't specifically uh, say not to bury them in Eretz Yisrael. Because that case is talking about where the children of the Mesa wanted to do kibbutz of moving the remains of their father to Eretz Yisrael, even though he didn't command them, in which case we say it's okay as long as he didn't command them. To the contrary, but here, the relative, who may not be a son, but some other relative, is protesting and saying, please don't move the remains. So therefore, uh, certainly uh, in this case, where the relative uh, himself uh, does not want to move the remains to Eretz Yisrael. You can't go against uh, exactly what he's going to. Uh, you can't go against his wishes. Why is um, the difference what the relative says? I mean, either it's Kavanis or it's not uh, The uh, because he said that uh, from the standpoint of uh, wanting to follow sort of the, the what the what, would, what the wishes you know of the family would be. Um, uh, then uh, you don't have the wishes of the family in this particular case. So he's saying, oh, you'll say it's covered in mace just to move to Eretz Yisrael even if the family is protesting. He said, we don't have any makkah for that. We have a makkah that if the family thinks that it would be nice for the, the, the parents to be buried in Eretz Yisrael, so we go along with the family because they're the ones who can, can make the determination of what's considered to be covered for their family. Burial is a, very often it's not a matter of uh, what is uh, considered to be proper uh, honor uh, that you're going to give to the family. That's why we have the idea of a carrot base of us. So here the family members protesting, and it's the, and, and the cemetery is not in a degraded state. It's not being vandalized. It's not being damaged by water. So then he said that you should just um, you should just leave, leave it alone. And then he makes sort of a general sweeping statement, which I think typified uh, of, uh, of Schwartz's approach towards these issues whenever I would discuss uh, these questions with him. Uh, in the early years, when I first came here to Chicago, I got a number of these questions of people who wanted to move the remains of relatives from one um, cemetery to another cemetery, so it would be closer to where the family members would be able to visit more and things of that sort. And Schwartz was always uh, uh, very uncomfortable with that because he said that uh, we do really worry about the Haredas, the Din, and the like. And he said, But that we have to be very, very careful about uh, about these matters. And sometimes he says uh, that uh, the real incentive for clearing out the mason is because the value of the real estate is very, very great. Uh, and uh, I think we saw that when we were visiting on a federation trip, uh, what was it, Thessalonica, when we were the, the, the old, in Greece, uh, we found there was a Jewish cemetery everybody was talking about, and it basically had uh, been uh, cleared out so that they could uh, create like a... Uh, 
uh, a major, you know, a shopping center and highway uh, area that they uh, that they, they, they moved aside to all these uh, Jewish uh, Jewish graves. Those are the real estate. So he says sometimes it's just a lot of money to be made in real estate, and you have to uh, be uh, very very wary even of uh, generous offers that seem to be made by developers to move uh, the remains elsewhere. Um, you shouldn't allow that sort of thing. So basically, he said no. And he gave an idea, Nietzsche, building the wall and trying to campaign for uh, better upkeep of the cemetery and always finding good. Now, this was in Nissan of Tufshin Memphis, which is, I guess, in the middle of 1988 sometime. And then the uh, very next tshuva was in Macheshvan of Tufshin Memtes, which would have been, I guess, in late 1988, the same calendar year, uh, pretty much. And it starts off with the statement of, Oh, with respect to what happened, with respect to, to this basic vows in Yankos, Yankos, now there's the possibility of moving all of the kvaros in Eretz, to Eretz Yisrael. So you figure, okay, maybe they're uh, sitting, uh, they're, they're sitting around, uh, still underground, and uh, there's a new question about the possibility of uh, having the funding to move uh, all of them to Eretz Yisrael to a particular location. But if you look down at the last sentence of the second of the penultimate paragraph. The second to last paragraph it says uh, of Schwartz adds of a prat beneath on the dot, especially in this case, Shikpa Pinu Esakvar Misham Nagami, where they've already cleared out all of the kvarim. So uh, obviously uh, there wasn't a full and, and perfect uh, cooperation, shall we say, with whatever the uh, Rabbinical Council of America uh, must have told this developer, because all of it, the remains of uh, the um, uh, of uh, uh, those who were buried in the cemetery had already been disinterred. So now the question was about uh, moving to Eretz Yisrael. So Schwartz starts off by saying, well, I already pointed out that, that the Maharal Bach was very makele about this as long as uh, the deceased did not specifically order uh, for his remains not to be moved to, to, um, to Eretz Yisrael. And now the question that he was dealing with was really a different question, and that's the question of can you use the, um, can you use the karka? Can you use uh, the uh, land itself uh, for, uh, other, uh, for other purposes? Since uh, that land had been hooked, so it had been designated specifically for a cemetery, for basic flowers. And here we have, if you take a look in Source Dalit on page 4, we have the Shulchan Aruch in Simon Shin Samach Dalit, which says, If you have a grave which is built uh, with a monument and the like, so you're never allowed to get enough from that. But in terms of the land itself, if I clear out a mace from land, so the land um, does not become usa forever. It's only usa to get benefit from the actual karka, from the actual land, um, when the mace is buried in it. But if once you clear out the mace, in Onasar, it does not become prohibited. So therefore, uh, that's what Rabbi Moshe, uh, that's what Rabbi Schwartz uh, quotes in uh, this uh, tshuva, and um, he says that the only thing that might be usher is the actual dirt uh, that was buried <coughs> together with the mace. If the dirt is not taken together with the mace, and that particular dirt is spilled back into the ground, so you can't get money from it. So he says, when you, if you're going to sell the base Akvaros, in this particular case, uh, the developer will, uh, will be, you know, if it will be sold for money or something uh, like that, or you're going to build something upon it to get some sort of a, uh, a benefit from it, um, so uh, chances are that, that uh, you're, you're not uh, going uh, to um, 
uh, uh, chances are you're not going to, 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 to be getting money from the actual dirt uh, that was covering the mason. You're getting money from, uh, from everything else. Uh, so that's not generally something that you need to, um, that you need to worry about. Uh, that's uh, actually uh, something which is, uh, which is discussed in the Chassam Sophia. If you look at source above uh, over here, um, as the, um, uh, the Chassam Sophia talks about or what about using sort of the uh, other parts of the area, like the walls of the Beis Akvaros, and uh, to, to use um, those uh, types of structures, uh, if they built a new Beis Akvaros, can I use those, uh, those walls from the, can I use the stones in order to make a Beis Shar, in order to make an entranceway for a, um, for a hospital, or for a hotel, or for, for, for guests, for wayfarers, uh, would that be permissible? And uh, the uh, and the Chassam Sofer says that the only thing that really is genuinely Asr Bahana is uh, the uh, actual area where the Mesa was buried or the upper uh, where the Mesa was buried. Uh, but uh, otherwise, you don't need to. Um, otherwise, you don't you don't need to worry about it. Now, uh, going back to Rabbi Schwartz's uh, tshuva uh, for, uh, for for uh, to, for 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 a moment. So Rabbi Schwartz uh, says. Uh, that uh, once you clear out uh, the uh, once you clear out the basic varos, uh, so uh, the way in which you would treat the basic varos when the mesim have been removed is the way that you would treat a basic nesis. and uh, this is uh, really where he alludes to the fasam sofer that uh, the general uh, the general rule is uh, that if you have the uh, if you have a basic nesis, uh, so there are certain rules about how you shouldn't engage in levity in a base nessus, you shouldn't eat or drink in a base nessus, uh, etc., etc. Uh, and um, he um, and the Rambam, interestingly enough, uses the very same lashonos that are used in connection with what you can't do in a base nessus with what you can't do in a base akvos, despite the fact that uh, the Gemaras, in, uh, there are two Gemaras in Megillah, one is on Davchov Chesam and Beis, dealing with the prohibitions and restrictions of the area of a basic Nessus, one is on Chav Chesam and Aleph, which deal with uh, certain restrictions uh, that relate to, to uh, the use of a basic Varos, there are different uh, Lashonos. So when it comes to a basic Nessus, uh, the, uh, the, the Brisa says that Bate Knesios, Bate Midrashos, Enoigim and Kolos Rosh, can eat or drink or get benefit from it. Uh, so, and the, the brisa with respect to a basic varus starts out similarly, but then goes off. It says, You can't engage in levity. Um, and you can't graze animals there. And you can't use it as a place where you pass through a water canal. And you can't collect uh, grass uh, in the area. So when the Ramam codifies the, the halachos of what you can't do in a basic boroughs, if you take a look at source hay on page 4, it sounds very much uh, like uh, the same formulation that we have with respect to a basic nesis that the Gemara had. So he says you can't eat in them, you can't drink in them. This is not what the Gemara said about, about a basic boroughs. That's what the Gemara said about a basic nesis. You don't get benefit from it. Um, and um, so uh, the um, the Shilte Agiborim in Masechet Sanhedrin uh, famously uh, asks uh, on the Rambam. The Rambam uses Lashonos about a basic varos that we uh, really see attributed to a basic nesis. 
uh, and he leaves out uh, the specific uh, uh, the specific provisions of that you don't uh, take you don't have a water canal go through it you don't collect a subim you don't uh, graze animals so he just uh, kind of cuts in the copies and pastes from uh, the Hilchos Beis So the Shiltei Giborim says a big chiddush, which is quoted by the Chassam Sofer as well. And that chiddush is uh, that uh, the uh, that the Ramam essentially equates the two. Uh, whatever is sort of the kedusha of a basic nesis, and it could be residual kedusha even if, after it's destroyed. So it's the same idea with respect to, to a um, with respect to a base a basic varos. And therefore, to the extent that we have certain dispensations with a basic nesis, that we say that as long as it's not like a basic nesis shall shall karachim. It's not a city, you know, like a, a metropolitan basic nesis that's intended for the entire universe where you can't make decisions to take away rights that belong to people all over the world, but it's like just a local base of Nesish of Kfarim. Um, so then, as long as you have all of the community leaders of a, a town make a determination that it's time to sell the shul, then they can sell the shul, uh, as long as they have you know, a, a bigger one, a better one, and so forth. Um, they can sell it. Uh, maybe people have moved away from one location, like they're no longer you know, on the... Um, uh, on the south side or the west side, they've moved to the north side. You know, I'm, I've only been in nine and a half years, so don't ask me to explain these terms, but they've moved around from, uh, from place to place. Um, uh, so th- then you would be allowed, if the community elders, the Zion Tuve a year, make the determination you can sell it, so you can sell it, and it would be okay, and it would lose its uh, Kedusha under those, uh, under those circumstances. So says uh, Rabbi uh, says, uh, Rav Schwartz, that uh, therefore the same thing uh, would be true uh, with respect to, to a base uh, hakvaros as well. Um, so he says that just like with the base haknesis, the machu zayin tuvayir it was done uh, with uh, notification to all of the people of the city. So then then you could even sell a base haknesis for uh, uses that are degrading. Uh, you could use it to even for, it could be used for a bathhouse or for a um, uh, there's a typo here. This is uh, this should be base. Uh, the last word it says Merkas Borsiki base the tefila. So I'll just have to. It's uh, not really a typo because it's Roshe Tebos, but you have to read this last word as Ubeis Hakise Nami. That you could even use it, you know, for a base uh, for base Hakise. It happens that the Ber Halacha uh, it says that not so in Simon Kupnun Gimel and Orachayim brings uh, authorities who say even though the Shulchan Aruch says that. Uh, we can't be so mako, you really shouldn't sell a basic nessus, even with the permission of the Zion to be a year, to be used for really degrading uses, like for, an, uh, for a, 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 bath, a bathhouse or a bathroom, that really wouldn't be appropriate. Uh, however, it could be sold for other purposes. So says of Schwartz, the so same thing would be true uh, with respect to, to a base uh, hakvaros uh, that no longer has any use. That's the last line to go back. We where they've already cleared out the graves. Therefore, it would be permissible to use the karka that was cleared after the, the sale. Um, but the Rav Shkort still is circumspect, and he says, since this a whole Indian is very, very chomer, um, it's important. Uh, something Rav Shkort generally didn't do. If he was being, you know, when he was matim and aguna, uh, in a, a very unusual type situation, like after the 9-11 uh, uh, tragedy of the attack on the, uh, uh, the World Trade Center towers, and we had a dozen Aguna cases that we needed to resolve. 
and they were very, very um, uh, difficult uh, and um, uh, extremely heart-wrenching uh, cases, but also uh, these were matters uh, of uh, tremendous um, uh, gravity. So Rav Schwartz uh, felt that his, uh, when he gave a heter for these 12 uh, women uh, to be able to remarry, 11 or 12 women to be able to remarry, he wanted the concurrence of uh, two of the remains of the husbands had not been found. He wanted the concurrence of uh, two other rabbinim as well. But Schwartz didn't always say that in his chubas. He was very comfortable. He had very broad shoulders for Schwartz. So a lot of his uh, kulas, he didn't say, I need two other rabbinim in order to, to, to feel comfortable. When it came to the World Trade Center tragedy, which uh, had uh, sort of a, a universal, um, uh, universal ramifications, of uh, some of the uh, momentous uh, determinations that were being made in terms of relying on DNA identification and things of that sort. He wanted to rely, uh, wanted to have the concurrence of two other Rabbanim. He got the concurrence of Rabbi Yosef, of Zalman Nechemya Goldberg uh, for uh, many of uh, the, the cases. He got the concurrence of Nutter Greenblatt. Um, so uh, in, the, in that case, we certainly you know, follow through. Here as well, we don't know which name Rabbanim Mufakim would have went along, but my guess is that in this particular case, um, it probably would have been even less difficult to have the necessary concurrences, but just a, an illustration of uh, how uh, Rav Schwartz was uh, fundamentally uncomfortable with the notion of Pinoy HaMesim in general, the notion of uh, clearing out or moving Mesim from one uh, location to another location. His starting point was one of tremendous circum, uh, circumspection. Um, if you look at this Chuba, I included uh, the Chuba of Moshe, went from page three over to page four, and so that's where uh, the um, you have the line about uh, the dirt itself uh, not being a, a problem uh, if you're selling the area because of the uh, the purchasers are probably not so interested in the dirt that was uh, right next to um, right next to the mason. Would, uh, would but uh, the rest of the area, uh, certainly, you don't need to worry about. A yes. valid reason be might, might be that uh, the community is no longer living there? Yes, that certainly is a valid reason. Look, I remember when I was, I don't know if it's the same cemetery, because this was Yonkers. So in the Yonkers area, there was a giant Home Depot. And it was known that the Home Depot was uh, built upon something that had been a previous graveyard. Uh, that was in that same area. So in Riverdale, uh, the uh, it was uh, very often uh, people would go to, there was a Home Depot over there. I think that there was a Costco in that area as well. It was that they were all built in this area where there had once upon a time been a Jewish cemetery. And what we discovered was that there had been sort of a promise by the developer. I don't know if it's the same place. But there had been a promise by the developer that he was going to clear out all of the remains of all of the Mason. A lot of the Mason were, were very, very young children. It was, this was a place where there were Nephilim, it was like a, a children's uh, cemetery. So I don't know if it's the same one, because Schwartz doesn't make mention of that in his, uh, in his tshuva. Um, uh, but it turned out that it was discovered uh, that many of uh, the remains had not actually been moved. Apparently it was an honest mistake. They thought that it had been moved, but it was discovered that it wasn't moved. But in the meantime, the Home Depot and the Costco had already been built, and they weren't uprooting these huge uh, stores um, in order to go back and to uh, bury the rest of the Mason. So the Attorney General's office got involved at the time, and there was a plaque that had to be put up by the developer somewhere, like in memory, um, and in tribute to all of those uh, Mason who were buried underneath the Home Depot and the, the Costco, um, whose remains had not been re- removed. That was kind of like the compromise that was made with the Attorney General's office. But all this was very interesting to those of us who live not so far away, 
whose uh, wives in particular were traveling to these locations on a regular basis and, you know, they would sometimes ask their husbands to accompany them. So for me, as a Kohen, I had an easy excuse, which is I can't go there. Um, so uh, because of the fact that uh, there still were uh, Jewish remains uh, buried right underneath, uh, unbelievably, uh, these uh, major uh, establishments, I get calls sometimes uh, from people who live in the area about is a Kohen allowed to go to that local you know, Home Depot? And the answer is uh, not there, not in Yonkers, no. Yeah. So we're the same thing with Waldheim. Um, there's a section of Waldheim on, on Harlem Avenue that was uh, not supposedly used, but there were people who were saying that years ago that people did use it, and they built a it was sport empty. right I know, I know. Well, they built a sport right there, so it took a long time oh, yeah. before they figured out that it was empty, and they fenced off and sold the land, and... Uh, they built a sport mart there and whatever's there they now. They did the yeah. same thing with a Walmart there. It was empty yeah. extra yeah. land. I'm sorry. The Walmart was built on well, the body. So Walmart was built on the Generally, you still have skeletons. You have bones. Well, no, yeah. 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 You still have the skeletons there. But it was empty. Actually, there are two sections of the cemetery in between. Well, it's actually cut out. Right. The, right. These are not uncommon issues. That's yeah, the bottom line. Now, the last tshuva, the last tshuva that uh, we have in the Chelek Yorodea is uh, similar along, this, the, uh, along uh, similar lines. Mechivas Chelek Yorodea is Can you sell a portion of a base clause? This tshuva was not to um, uh, Rabbi Wolfish, but was to Rabbi Shlomo ben Sien Herbst. Rabbi Herbst uh, had been uh, a Dayan who had, was involved with the Besden of America for many years. His uncle or great-uncle was a Moshe Levi Steinberg, who was the first Ab Besden of the Besden of America. Um, uh, when Rabbi Steinberg passed away, um, the Rabbi Schwartz and Rabbi Herbst uh, had a, uh, a, a corresponding relationship uh, at the time to deal with uh, lots of different halakhic issues. Uh, that uh, perhaps Rabbi Steinberg in the past uh, would have uh, dealt with. And I think there was a question mark uh, as to which one was going to take over as the Abesden of the Besden of America. In the end, it was uh, Rabbi Gedaliel Dov Schwartz um, and, and not Rabbi Herbst. So Rabbi Herbst actually at the time uh, formed his own Besden, uh, which was uh, called Besden Sedek of America. Instead of Besden of America, it's called Besden Sedek of America. And it had a, a subtitle to it called A Mishpat. But we always had a cordial relationship with Rabbi Herbst. I think that these chuvas were written you know, more or less around the time of the transition. It looks like this one was written in 1990. After, um, uh, so uh, Rabbi Schwartz was already serving as uh, the uh, Abbezin of the Chicago Rabbinical Council. But I think Rabbi Steinberg uh, may have still been alive at that point in time. Maybe he was getting on in years, but I think he was still alive at that, uh, at that point in time. But Rabbi Herbst unfortunately just passed away himself uh, about a year or two ago. Uh, I used to sit on cases with him from, uh, from time to time. So he presented this uh, Shaila uh, to Rabbi Schwartz about uh, not a cemetery in Yonkers, but a cemetery in Troy, New York. Troy is, I think, uh, much uh, further north, uh, I believe. Uh, and uh, the question was uh, that uh, there was a portion of the base cars they wanted to sell. And uh, Rabbi Schwartz interestingly said that, that uh, since I guess the people who were asking were sort of in charge of the orthodox section of the basic Varos, and this section was not designated for orthodox burial, but they were, it was designated for non-orthodox uh, burial, so he thought that that would, be, um, that would be okay. But what was Rabbi Schwartz was more concerned about is that near that area 
there were also a kibarim of where they used to have this. They would have cemeteries for Yuladim. Um, for for children, sometimes that meant a combination of children who died young or stillborn children uh, and the like, and uh, that uh, was uh, for the Orthodox uh, community uh, community as well. So the question was, uh, do we say that since the whole area who had been designated as a basic varos, so, so therefore that meant that the ancillary areas as well were off limits from selling. And here again, he calls in the Shilte Agiborim, which was also uh, cited by the Qasam Sofer, as drawing this equation based on the Ramam between the Kedusha of a Beis and uh, the Kedusha, or the, uh, or I shouldn't say, or the Kedusha Beis Kavaros, or at least uh, the uh, notion of uh, the um, prohibitive uh, state of, of the usage of a basic varos and the, and the prohibi- prohibitive um, uh, usage of a basic nesis. And he said that uh, we just have to go along with the general klolim uh, and as long as it doesn't be- it's not considered to be a, a belonging to a krach, belonging to a, uh, to a metropolitan or a cosmopolitan uh, type of uh, entity uh, where it would uh, pertain to uh, a large population beyond uh, those who are in the immediate area, but it's just sort of a small town, uh, Beisak Varos, and all you need is the permission of uh, the people, um, uh, which, is, um, uh, which, which is expressed through the decision-making of the Zion Tuve Yair, of uh, the uh, of the leaders, the leadership of the community, and as long as uh, the rabbinic uh, uh, the leadership of the community and the lay leadership uh, of uh, the uh, of the community all would go along with uh, the sale, uh, so then he said it would be perfectly okay. And therefore, therefore he said that it would be okay to sell this small portion of the cemetery because it is a good 120 feet away from uh, the kvarim of the of the yeladim of the children. And he said, and the other idea that he had is uh, to put up a fence, uh, that you fence off the area so that also uh, will protect its own dignity and, uh, and, and sanctity, if you will, um, uh, so that you wouldn't have uh, the problem of invading uh, the uh, area of the, uh, of the basic laws that was still uh, subject to, uh, to further usage. And that concludes the Chuba section in Yoridea uh, and um, enables us to move on to Ebene Ezim. Much of the, uh, the um, correspondence that Schwartz had with other Rabbanim in terms of Shiloh Suchuvus was in the area of Ebenez because that's very much uh, sort of uh, the um, meat and potatoes, shall we say, of Bezdin practice in terms of uh, the Gitin and in terms of Aguna situations uh, and in terms of lots of uh, different marital situations that arise, questions regarding uh, personal status that arise. Uh, so uh, many of those questions would reach Rabbi Schwartz's desk. And very interestingly, the first number of chuvos here, actually I think uh, from the first to the sixth, the first six chuvos all have to deal with questions of mamzeris. Questions of mamzeris where people would come to Rabbi Schwartz where there was a real concern and that uh, a certain child uh, might be might be prohibited from freely marrying within the Jewish community because there was a question as to their legitimacy, as to their legitimate uh, status. And Rav Schwartz always dealt with these uh, issues with a tremendous amount of uh, COVID rosh. He wanted very much to help people, but he wanted to help people with uh, legitimate svaros. 
And therefore, he did a lot of uh, research, he did a lot of uh, thinking. Uh, one thing that I learned from Rav Schwartz, a very important lesson, is that he would never say to somebody, no, I've done all of my research, and I've done all of my study, and I haven't been able to find the heter, and therefore you're a mamzer. Uh, I never once uh, came across a, question, a, a, a case, no matter how intractable and, uh, and, um, uh, and difficult it was uh, to find the heter, even when Rav Schwartz couldn't find the head there, he never declared somebody a mamza. He would just say, maybe you could uh, find uh, somebody else who uh, would be able to, to work with you. Maybe you'll find a, a different posek uh, who will be able to find grounds of a hakel. Uh, but uh, he would never give up on a particular person or a particular situation. If he could find the heter, which he usually could, uh, then uh, he would uh, give the heter himself. If he couldn't find the heter, then he would simply say nothing, uh, but he wouldn't declare somebody to be a mamzer. It was a revelation to me. Uh, what I discovered many, many years later, this was only after Rashwas was nifter. Only after Rashwas was nifter, and I sort of inherited his files that were still on his desk, or a few files you know, that he would deal with himself, uh, up until the very, very end, when he was serving as Rosh Bezdin, even after I came to town. Um, so, you know, he would deal with files where maybe politically he knew that uh, he couldn't get me involved because uh, he didn't mind if he ruffled feathers, uh, if, as long as he was helping people doing the right thing. So there was one file involved of people from a foreign country, I mean, from a, uh, an overseas country where they had their own Bezdin, uh, but uh, that Bezdin apparently wasn't uh, felt to be, um, wasn't perceived by the people in question as being sufficiently helpful. So they turned to Rav Schwartz, and this had to do with the Mamzeris question. Somebody whose grandmother had not received the prop again, had remarried afterwards, and then the, the person's um, the father was born uh, from uh, that union, and then this is the grandson who wanted to get married and uh, wanted to, to be, get a declaration that they weren't a Mamzer, and they had brought the question to Rav Schwartz. So I... Of course, uh, I've always been a stickler for protocol. So I did all of my research and I looked to get various heterim. And then I, uh, just to, to be polite, uh, as proper etiquette, I contacted the, the local Besdin in that area, in that country. And I said, oh, no, I received, the, the, very innocently, I said that this file was, was transferred to me by, um, by Rabbi Schwartz. And I mean, it was actually at the time Rabbi Schwartz got sick that it was transferred to me. So it was transferred to me by Rabbi Schwartz. And uh, I have been trying to work really, really hard to come up with a heter, but I just want to share with you uh, what my you know, thoughts are. And I'm going to also share the tube I'm planning to share with Rabbi Yitzchak Yosef in Eretz Yisrael, who has some of the Kabbalists of his father, Rabbi Vayi Yosef, who had a lot of leniencies in this area. And I'm hoping that we can get a leading in Shuba from him. And they said, they said, you're doing what? Please stop working on this file immediately. Don't you understand if you send it to Rabbi Yitzchak Yosef, he'll probably agree with you and he'll declare this person's not a mobzer. That's not what we want. So I realized, okay, uh, not everybody has the same approach when it comes to these matters. They said, we have a different tradition, we have a different Kabbalah. The grandparents, you know, did something that was very wrong, uh, that uh, they decided to uh, go and uh, get uh, a get from an improper place, you know, rather than from an orthodox get, because they wanted to remarry, and uh, and, and, and we can't uh, reward this type of behavior. To- totally different cheshbonos. But uh, that wasn't the way that Rabbi Schwartz you know, approached these matters. Rabbi Schwartz uh, said, I have a person who wants to be a, who's a member of Klai Yisrael who is being prevented from being married. This is like a Pikuach Nefer situation. We have to do everything in our power. We, 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 we have to move heaven and earth uh, in order to find the heter. It has to be a legitimate heter, but we have to find the, find the heter. So here he dealt with a, a, a situation that we've discussed uh, in the past, um, which is um, sort of a, a global uh, question. 
which is that you find somebody who comes from an adoption, a person who came from an adoption, uh, and uh, the um, uh, and the mother, uh, we don't know uh, whether uh, when the, the mother, we, let's say we know that the mother was Jewish, but we don't know who the father was. We don't know if the father was a mamzer, in which case, uh, like the Gemara says, you have a shtuki. You would ask the mother, well, who's your, the, who is the person who got you pregnant? And she'll say, shush! Shtuki, shtok! You know, shtok! Be, 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 I'm not going to tell you. Uh, so in this particular case, you have, a, you, you, you have a, so, so, such a question. If it's an adoption where you have no idea who the mother is, who the father is, uh, so that's an asufi. An asufi, the Gemara says that if the child is placed in a proper adoption agency, is all dressed up and is treated very well, so you assume that the child must have been legitimate because otherwise they wouldn't have been given away to such good care. So the Noda Behuda famously asks the question, well, isn't every single shtuki, if you know who the mother is and you ask the mother who the father is and she says, I refuse to tell you, um, so isn't every case that you have in a Sufi, isn't the child also a shtuki because I don't know who the father was. So why is it that the Gemara says if you have an Asufi um, who is taken good care of so you can assume the child's legitimate, but a shtuki, even if you have the mother who's raising the child and taking very good care of the child, uh, somehow uh, we, we, we say that the child uh, is a Suffolk mamzer according to the Gemara and Kedushan and that the child's not allowed to marry within the Jewish community. So th- that's the question. Um, what then do you do if you have an adoption situation where you actually know the identity of the mother but not the identity of the father? Do I treat that like a case where it's a good Asufi, um, where the child is fine, or do I say no? And since now I know who the mother is, and the, the mother, and I, and I don't know who the father is, I have to treat this situation as a, as a Shtuki situation. So, the Noda Behuda uh, in Eben Ezzesim in Zion is Madua Kama, famously uh, says uh, that uh, there's a reason why uh, we're more Mako uh, with respect to the Asufi. Says the Asufi, uh, at least the, the one that was you know given over for you know in, in good shape to be taken good care of. He says because in that situation um, uh, we uh, have uh, no we don't have the mother in front of us. If the mother would be in front of us, so, so then we would if we're if the mother's not giving us information, we have to be worried that maybe her paramour was somebody who was illegitimate, like a mamzer, and therefore would cause the child to be illegitimate because I'm dealing with the mother. But if I'm, the mother's not around, in the Nodabihuda's case, the mother was dead. So he said, the mother's not around, she's dead, and I'm only dealing with a child. So then the child's considered to be pirish. Uh, that most people in the world are kosher. Uh, most of men whom the women would have had the relationship with would not have given birth to a mamzer. Let's say it was a non-Jewish man, the child wouldn't be a mamzer, for example. Um, so we, therefore we say, called the parish meruba parish. If I'm only dealing with the child and not with the mother, uh, so then I say, oh, so then the child is not uh, kagua, like the mother may have been kagua. She may have, you know, gone to the home of her paramours, who's a kagua, who might have been a mamzer, called kagua kemetzamezadami, in which case we say it's a 50% suffix that there's a problem. But the child is a peevish. The child is uh, somebody who is being separated from the majority of the population. So we say that he must come from the majority and therefore the child is going to be okay. That's the opinion of the, um, of the Noda Behuda. Now, uh, the, so therefore, in any situation where the mother is not around, um, uh, then uh, we, can, uh, we can presumably, uh, in an adoption case, I know the mother was Jewish, but I can't ask the mother, and therefore I'm not, uh, being, um, I'm not adjudicating the case of the mother. Um, so then you would have this heter 
of the um, of the node uh, of the node of Yehuda. And that's uh, the case over here that, that Rav Schwartz uh, is speaking about. But he's not speaking about where the mother is dead. He has a, a strange lotion over here. But I understand the lotion because I deal with these cases. I deal with the cases where maybe if you worked hard enough, you'd be able to track down the mother. But it's not necessarily so easy. And the mother doesn't necessarily want to be tracked down by you because she gave up the child for adoption many, many years ago. Um, so says Rav Schwartz, it's impossible to get in touch. She's not dead. The no debut was making when she's dead, because he says so now since she's no longer alive. Uh, so I'm the so therefore the determination of the bezin doesn't relate to the mother; it only relates to the child. Therefore, you could be mako. But Schwartz was uh, is, is saying that I can apply the reasoning of the no debut even to a mother who is uh, still uh, still alive. But Schwartz wasn't the first one to make uh, that uh, determination. Um, uh, the Rabbi Chaim David Halevi. Um, who was the chief rabbi of Tel Aviv in his Shailos uh, Tshuva Sefer Asedach Harav? I have the Tshuva for you on page seven of the materials. So he also uh, he quoted Rav Mabuntamin, Rav Issa Yehuda Untamin, who was uh, one of the chief rabbis of the state of Israel, um, who also has a Tshuva that's published in the Yotzer Haposkim, um, that where he says uh, similarly that if uh, the mother is uh, simply not uh, not reachable. Sometimes the mother might not be reachable because it would just be a very uncomfortable uh, conversation uh, conversation to have. Uh, so he says, uh, if, uh, if the, where that they just uh, uh, don't uh, don't want to, to even deal with the situation, and they sort of you know disappear, and you'd have to track them down. So he also compares that uh, to the situation of the Nodabiud. And if you take a look uh, towards uh, the uh, towards the end of this tshuva of uh, the Asay uh, the Harab, where he kind of talks about his own situation. If you look on the second to last paragraph of page seven, it's a very fascinating statement that he makes. He says, didan. In his particular case, the mother is alive. We know who the mother is. We can even call her. Most of the mothers, when they give over the child to adoption, they don't even know who the new adoptive parents are. Not quote me, men. Legamri. They have nothing to do with their child ever, with their biological child. And if now, if you call the mother for an examination, you're going to cause unbelievable emotional pain to revisit this issue of an adoption that may have taken place 40, 50 years ago to interview the mother. I mean, I, I've done it, but... Kshash said nearly Mutzdok, but he says that this Kshash... Uh, is um, he thinks is a very legitimate shash. Shacharei pre that she's uh, really had a chance for this wound to heal, and now you're going to reopen the wound. You're going to let her know, oh, this daughter that you gave up for adoption, she's getting married, Mazel Tov! <laughs> Uh, it's a, what a shame that you don't have a relationship with her. But let me ask you a question about how you, you know, gave birth to her in the first place. But Nakor Osa Lavia, and you're going to interrogate her about this. And you can actually even cause Sakana by having this conversation with her. Very, very fascinating statement. So, therefore, Rav Schwartz also seemed to be applying the note to Yehuda even in this type of case where the mother was potentially alive, because all he said, he didn't say that the mother was no longer alive, he just said, It's very interesting. Now, he does mention 
that uh, there were those who disagreed with the Noda Behuda, Pisli Chuba in uh Simon Dal and Ebn Ezer uh, quotes uh, from uh, the Kivos Yaakov and others who say that it's not really a Pirish because when you uh, have uh, the uh, because when the suffix arose originally as to what the status of the mother was, the child uh, in terms of did she have relations with somebody who was kosher to her who was not kosher to her, it's not as if the child only was born afterwards. This was or the child only came into the universe afterwards. The child was inside of her belly. When the suffix arose, the child is already inside of her belly. So he says, it's not a question of that I knew everything, everything could have been perfectly fine beforehand, uh, and if so, the child came from one of those places which was perfectly fine. No, we know the place the child came from. The child came from a belly of a woman, of a womb of a woman, who herself was in question. So therefore, both spakos, all the spakos arose at exactly the same time. So the Sheikh Shmaitasa uh, dealt with this issue, and Rav Schwartz actually quotes from uh, the shape uh, from the shape Shmaitasa, and he points out uh, that uh, the uh, that's in the second paragraph. Uh, shape Shmaitasa, written by the uh, Tzosa, the author of the Tzosa Choshen, very very famous sefer in Lambdas, but it's also interestingly a sefer which is cited for purposes of halacha lemaisa as well. He deals with a lot of these types of situations of a person's. Uh, uh, status as to when we can assume that they're legitimate or not legitimate. The Shev Shemaitasa says that uh, some, even though normally we require when there's a suffix, a question mark that arises about a person's legitimacy, we require trey ruby. We require that there be a majority of people who are kosher, who are in the area, and it has to be like a super majority, like a, a rove, a gabi rove. That somebody comes from a particular area, and in that area, the, uh, let's say a woman had a relationship with a man in a certain area, and that area, most of the people are kesherim. They're not going to cause the child to be illegitimate. And not only most of the people who live in the area, but also most of the people who pass through the area as travelers. I have two ruby. I have tre ruby. But even if I don't have tre ruby, uh, the Sheish Maitasa says that there are opinions um, who uh, say, according to, uh, to Tarashi, quotes in the Baal who say that you could rely on one majority, and for sure, wherever this woman had her relationship, at least the, the majority of people would have been uh, 100% uh, kosher, uh, in terms of uh, this uh, child uh, being a legitimate child, uh, would not have been mamzerim and the like, and therefore he says that in a bishas atchak, you're in a very, very difficult situation, you can, um, uh, you can be makel uh, when, you're, uh, when you have a, an individual uh, in front of you. And Rav Schwartz says you can rely upon that. What's interesting is that, that some of the later writers, also and Ravuntam and himself, also bring another consideration, that you only really have to worry that the woman had an illegitimate relationship, let's say, with a mamzer, if you knew that in a particular area there, were, there was a mamzer. He says, nowadays, we don't really have a registry of mamzerim. We don't have a registry anymore, people who are mamzerim. Um, yeah, um, so, it's, so therefore, um, that's another, uh, another reason to be makel. I once asked of Herschel Schechter Shlita what he thought about these various svaros, whether he thought that was the reason we could really do away with the whole concern about Shtuki altogether nowadays. That's what Rav Duchovsky, Rav Shlomo Duchovsky seems to write. If you look on page 8 in Source Above over there, and Rav Schechter uh, kind of gave me one of his, hmm, I don't know, uh, type answers, so uh, I haven't really gotten the thumbs up uh, on that one yet. Um, since I had the one minute uh, sign, we're going to leave uh, the um, second part of uh, the tshuva, which has to do with the status of anusim uh, nowadays and whether we can assume uh, that people who can prove 
um, or make a reasonable argument that they come from uh, the Anusim, uh, the conversos um, uh, of uh, Spain, going back over going back over 500 uh, years. Whether we can assume uh, that those individuals, although they're not part of the formal Jewish community, can be treated as Jewish, or whether when we do a conversion for them, that's considered to be a genuine conversion, so that they are uh, considered to only now be entering into the faith. So we're going to reserve that discussion Hashem, for uh, the next time. So what, what, what's the population you need to get this rope? Does it include married people? Or is it only three people who are It's a very good question. So it, um, we have no reason necessarily to assume that the woman was, uh, was married. Uh, if she was married, then you still I mean, have... But the man that, right. If the woman was married, so then it's, a, it's more difficult because then most people will be in fact prohibited to her. But you still have the role of Goyim, of non-Jews. Because even if a married woman has an adulterous relationship with a non-Jew, the child will still be legitimate. Oh, I was going to ask that shot. Never was going to ask that shot. Okay. I, 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 I